Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. Hi, this is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Christian Roth of BD Diesel. I'm Braden Fleece, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Lenny Reed, the owner of Dynamite Diesel Products, and we're going to be catching up with him on some really cool developments and uh, some things that they're working on there at the shop to be able to bring you guys the highest quality injectors that they've been able to produce you know, in the aftermarket. So he's got a ton of cool things going on. We're going to chat about Duramax, other types of injectors, diesel industry, and also some business tips. We know you guys love to hear Lenny's stories and some of his experiences, so it's gonna be a great time. Before we get to it though, I wanna make sure you guys are, are on our Discord. There's a ton of really cool conversations and things that you guys are asking for over there. Love to see your guys' build. You're gonna see a code up on the screen to join, also a link down below. There's tons of sections for Cummins, Duramax, Powerstroke. Also had some of the guys there ask for us to have some different sections for maybe some other type of vehicles. We know that you guys, you know, are, are really into diesels and also anything with an engine in it. So we got uh, sections on there for EcoBoost, Jeeps, Broncos, even EVs. So there's a lot of, a lot of great, uh, great information that we all share there. You can also, you know, let us know for guests or episodes that you want to have on. And uh, you guys definitely keep me on my toes over there. So I want to see you on there. Also, our Patreon link is going to be down below. Patreon is another way to support the podcast. We appreciate all of our patrons. And there's really exclusive things that you can get. They're, they're structured, you know, starting at $3 a month and, and go up from there. But you can be the executive producer for an episode. Um, you can have me say, you know, your name or your company name on air. Lots of, of really cool things that help us grow and help us connect with you guys in a different way. Also want to give a shout out to one of our new sponsors, which is Fluid Ampner, and they have a ton of cool products. We're going to be doing an episode with them here shortly to learn more about them, talk about how you know their products, they're not just for racing, they can also be for a stock or just a mildly built truck, the benefits that you get out of it. It's it's really cool because it's it's something that you don't have to rebuild. You know, it's designed to last the, the lifetime of the engine. There's definite benefits that you get to making sure that your engine lasts. And they're a really helpful group over there. Whenever um, I've had questions or somebody's asked me something about building an engine and I reached out to them, they're, they're really great to chat with. So if you have questions, wanna learn more, if you're getting ready to jump into an engine build or just wanna improve the reliability of, of your truck, head on over to fluidampner.com. You can also call them at 716-592-1000 or email them at support at fluidampner.com. All right, let's get to today's episode with Lenny Reed and chatting about Dynamite Diesel products and some new things we got going on. Lenny, welcome back to the Diesel Podcast. I always love chatting with you. And uh, this year's really flown by with, uh, I don't know, maybe just getting older, time going by faster. It's, you know, summer's here. I see you guys are busy with with uh, lots of things. Just wanted to catch up with you, see what you're working on at, uh, at Dynamite Diesel, what's going on with the company, you know, parts, things you guys are, you know, testing, working on. Seems like a lot of exciting stuff. Yeah, we've, we've definitely, you know, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. And, you know, you like chatting with me because I'm basically full of shit and I'm good at talking. <laughs> so there's that. But uh, no, it, it has been, you know, I do talk to you, what, probably half a dozen times a year, four times a year or something. Yeah. And uh, there's always a lot that goes on in between. And, you know, I keep these little note cards in my pocket and sometimes I stack them up for two, three, four weeks and I look back at them and I, I just can't believe how much happens 
in even two or three, four weeks. But yeah, every couple of months, it's like a whole new chapter gets wrote. And this time's no different. We got, uh, we're, we've been pushing for a lot more Duramax stuff this year. And uh, we got a guy named Craig McElfresh who has been using our stuff for the past few months and testing it quite a bit. Uh, last weekend, he was out in, uh, I want to say it was Missouri. And uh, at first place ended up being uh, the Jason Wayman's truck. And then Craig finished second place in a Duramax. And that's in three inch limited air. So to see that kind of progress already, and I know what his dyno numbers have been doing, his, he's making more power than he's ever made before. And he's getting to the point where the Duramax, you know, three inch stuff is actually starting to party with Cummins uh, three inch stuff. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And it's, uh, it just takes somebody putting in the effort, you know, whether he, I work with a, a lot of really sharp guys, but if they're already so busy on their projects, they don't have enough time to, to contribute into that kind of R and D. So with Craig, he was, you know, he wants to do the R and D he's responsible for, I would say at least half a dozen trucks and he's a pretty sharp guy and he's not afraid to work. So it's been a good experience and my Duramax, our Duramax knowledge and my Duramax database is uh, growing quite a bit because, you know, we're working with guys like him and there's a local guy here, Cody. Um, we, we've got him on the streets made him some nozzles for like the, uh, they make a piston that's not prone to cracking like the factory piston. It's called the uh, oval bowl. And we custom designed a uh, spray pattern to fit that bowl, uh, cleared up just a ton of the smoke and the drivability issues that those pistons are known for. So pretty stoked about that as well. So yeah, Duramax stuff has been good. And I guess, you know, like you'd mentioned, we're having a Duramax sale right now. So there's a little plug, shameless plug, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, things are things are definitely clicking along on that. And, uh, you know, after, you know, I know that you and I have talked about test stands and dynos and things and how they were ordered and they didn't show up, and they, you know, build back better. Right. Yeah. Uh, finally, test stand showed up and it ran. We thought the first thing that we put on it was piezo stuff and uh, got to we spent two days with it and we had some solenoid style coming stuff on it. And then that day, uh, some local people here were digging in the ground and they hit like some main power source and it uh, gave us a, a voltage spike and it took out a circuit board in that test stand. So the thing was functional for like two and a half days. Then we had the red label parts in and the dude that uh, we bought the stand from took care of us right away, got us the part the very next day. So we were back up and running. But then that voltage spike, it also hit, well, all the tools in my shop got hit. The whole building got hit. But we've got three big, like, panels here in this building. And the one panel that's responsible for all of those machines, uh, because the EDM took the hit, and it, it acted stupid for, like, two days. And, of course, that test stand got hit. That was a warning shot over the bow to me. So we ordered up a surge protector to try and prevent any more damage in the future. Um the test stand that we got here recently with rate shape in it. Um, it's got a little brother and the little brother is about half the money, but still the same quality with the stand, still the same measuring instruments in it. And it still looks at nozzle response time, which is something that I'll explain more about later. Uh, we ordered one of those this morning and our dyno from DinoCom just showed up, uh, myself. It's out at the house now, Matt, uh, Matt and Chris were out there playing with it for a few hours. They probably got a day, day and a half into getting it set up. And we've got just a, a real basic 
300 horsepower 12 valve Cummins sitting on it. So we're trying to learn how to use the dyno and they're flying somebody up to give us instruction on that. So like a lot going on yeah. and we need, we need just more brains. That's what we need, but <laughs> it's been killer. Like this, this year really good. <clears throat> well, when I saw, I saw an Insta, I think it was Instagram that um, injector sale that you have on and it was, there's, there's uh, a lot of people that I'll chat with that listen to the podcast or, you know, they find us on discord or send, send us a message somewhere and they're looking for, you know, one of those older trucks could be a Duramax, could be a Cummins, could be a power stroke. And it's a, uh, I think a trend's been going on for a while, but especially now with how difficult it is to find a new truck or even to order one. I know there's a lot of guys that'll say, Hey, I found this Duramax, it's LB7, it's got this many miles on them. I know that the factory injectors had issues. Um, you know, what should I start with to make it reliable? And I'm sure you guys get those questions all the time when, you know, it's a truck that's new to them and they want to make sure that it is reliable and they want to, you know, invest the money into it to, to make sure it performs and tows and it does everything like that. So it, it kind of connected some dots with some questions we get, you know, at the podcast about just making an older vehicle as reliable as possible. It will be a blessing in disguise. Like right now, it's not very fun because ultimately what's happening is uh, a lot of trucks are getting worn out and people can't run down the local lot and, and pay even a decent rate for a truck right now. They're, if you're getting a new truck, you're paying retail press a premium. And, you know, these trucks are now in excess of $100,000 yeah. and people are paying, oh, my 2019 that I've got right now is, uh, is ultimately, well, I paid more for the 2019 it's a fully leathered truck, but the one that I had before that, that I bought brand new was a 3,500 with like the super leather dash and whatever in it. I don't remember what King, King, not the King ranch, but the, uh, whatever Dodge's, uh, what's Dodge's, uh, version of it. Anyways. So that one was like super pimped out, paid like 85 grand for that. And the one that wasn't quite so pimped out 2,500, 17,000 miles. I paid like 85 grand for that. So yeah, I mean, I think that right now things are going to be a lot better for people in the future because um, they're, they can't run out and buy that stuff. And with what's gone on in the past couple of years with everybody, a lot of people don't love, you know, they're trying to figure out how to word things without saying things that get us in trouble or get us clipped. <laughs> uh, there's diesel exhaust fluid shortages. And that creates worry amongst everybody because nobody wants to be, you know, nobody wants a hundred thousand dollar paperweight sitting in the driveway and possibly not be able to even purchase DEF. Yeah. So I bought a 55 gallon drum of DEF and I've got, I think I'm down to 13, two and a half gallon jugs. So it's starting to be a real thing that we need to be concerned about because we don't really know what tomorrow or the next week has. Right. Yeah. With all that, people are forced to drive old stuff and the technology today for the old trucks of yesterday is so much better that now, you know, back in 1998, if you had a 215, you know, pump in a five-speed truck, a set of injectors and a cam plate, an HX40 turbo, you were 450 to 500 horsepower and it was pretty dang reliable, but you blew up turbos like way too often. Well, now you can buy, you know, box turbo USA, like, anything from Garrett, anything from Borg, 
and it's the exact same fueling as 550 horsepower that's reliable and it doesn't get hot. And then dudes like me that, you know, like put this injector in it, set the timing there, end of injection is going to be really tight. Just it's going to run flawless. And so, so those older trucks now run better than they ever did back in the old day. But that's driven the cost of those older trucks up too. So, you know, you're not talking $100,000, but man, I was, I went to a, a place called The Rock in Rock Island, Washington, sat down, had lunch. And this, I had two trucks on my 40 foot trailer. One of them was like a Ford truck with a snowplow on it. And it was an old indirect injection Ford. Unfortunately, a fellow passed away and his wife had, you know, these trucks left over. So I bought both trucks. And this guy was like, man, you want to sell one of those trucks? Like, no, no, I'm taking them back. I, you know, that'll be my plow truck. And that other one, I'm going to sell it, but we got to shoot videos on it first. And he said, oh, I got two Duramaxes blown up motors. I can't even find pistons to rebuild the motors. So, and I told him, I was like, man, you're going to spend 20 grand to rebuild those motors. He goes, I don't care. You know how much a brand new truck costs now? It's $100,000. And this dude was probably early 60s. And instantly my brain, I was like, okay, if a dude that's 60 years old out, you know, goes out and buys a $100,000 truck, that changes retirement. That delays it. That does something that changes the way your retirement looks for the rest of your life. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a wild time to be alive. That's for sure. But I think not being able to go out and buy new trucks, I think that'll be a blessing in disguise because that will give a bunch of the aftermarket guys time. You know, now that we can do gas testing, we can start a lot more research before a bunch of them trucks get bought. By the time those trucks are available freely, I mean, hell, can you even buy a Ford truck brand new right now? I was actually looking the other day and there's a few in transit, but who knows how many people are in line for it or I, I don't know. I, I don't really see them on the lots anymore. And I think they had uh, stopped the production and were switching to 2023s at some point this year. So it's, mm. it's, it's like that with all of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Every brand. It is wild. It is wild. So <laughs> I, I do believe that, you know, you can cry about not being able to buy a brand new truck like you used to two years ago, but reality is like, you didn't need it. Your old trucks, you know, like you might have wanted to upgrade it or whatever, but nobody needs to buy a new truck every two years. So I feel like we take this time to stockpile some money, prepare for, you know, the worst weather and uh, just make what you've got live and make it more reliable than ever. Because, you know, if you got a CP4 truck, there's uh, there's parts that are available to make sure that the total devastation doesn't happen to you. If you've got a older CP3 truck that, you know, is, emissions friendly. Like now you've got guys that are working on injectors that make mileage and power and still retain all the emissions gear. So these are all good things. Like you just, I know that, you know, it seems cloudy sometimes when you think about it, because a lot of shops I call and I'm like, Hey man, you know, need some injectors. And they're like, man, we haven't done a, we haven't done a high performance build in a long time. And I'm thinking you realize like as a shop owner, you're, you're doing a poor service by not re- if you're going to go to O'Reilly's and buy stock injectors to where the rate shape looks dumb, the response time is horrible. All you're doing is putting in something that runs bad, but it runs and you send them down the road. That's a horrible idea. Like why not buy something that somebody's actually got time and pride in that makes their truck run better. Even if it is like a close to factory power part, at least the truck runs better than it did when it came from the factory. 
So we've changed gears and that's really what we're focusing on right now is, you know, the hundred horsepower and less, but making sure that things run just fabulous, just way better than they ever did. That's a really good point that you made because I was, when you were chatting there, I was thinking about, um, you know, years past and, and when I would be looking for parts for a truck, um, and when you'd call around to different companies, there is always like this push to get the brand new, you know, whatever it is, a 2015 Ford, the, you know, 2012 Ram. And they wanted to do R and D and get parts for this brand new vehicle so that the guys who bought them could immediately turn around and, you know, do, do upgrades to it. But I think with the climate of the way things are now and the equipment that you have and and the testing and, and the precision, you can take the things you're doing on a 2022 truck or 2021 truck and apply it to an LB7, apply it to a 12 valve, a VP44 truck. So it makes, I'm not sure this would have happened otherwise, I guess is what I'm getting at. I'm not sure, you know, like, would you really be focusing on 98.5 to O2 injectors if the climate wasn't like this? Or would you be looking towards, hey, you know, guys want new trucks, they get new trucks every two years. I want to have, you know, some products for, for this brand new model. So... A hundred percent of that rings true with me because yeah, like VP 44 style trucks, they get great mileage. The layout of the dashboard is pretty good. You know, they're second gens. They're not ever going to tow like a fifth gen. Um, They've got four speed trannies, not, you know, six or eight speed trannies. So they're not near as comfortable as a brand new truck. But as far as mileage is concerned, when it's $6 a gallon and you've got a BP 44 with a fairly stock sized tire, and it gets 20 to 22 miles per gallon. And when you hook your boat on it, it's still 15, 16. You really have to be thankful when gas is six bucks a gallon. Yeah. You know, you know, six times 30, you know, that's a chunk of change. You're sub $200 right there. And there's places that are over $6 a gallon now. So, I mean, that's got, that's got to cut into the budget at some point. You really got to start thinking like, okay, I've got $800 to spend when do I spend it? Like, I've got to stretch this out for 30 days. I got 800 bucks. So then you start to like uh, really put priority on like, are you going to go boating on Wednesday night? Or are you going to save it and just use it on Saturday morning? So you can be on the water all day long. Um, you, you've got $800 to spend on fuel and you know that 300 is going to be going camping and back. Well, you're probably not camping twice and trying to stretch yourself to, you know, hitchhike to work. Right. So now people are going to be camping once instead of twice or three times. It's changed. The, I mean, around here, this place is, you know, it's heaven. And uh, camping, boating, things like that are a big deal. But it's recently starting to pick up. You know, we're coming, we're late in the season. By now, every park around here should have been busy. Should have been, should have been 100% capacity for the last month. We've been at 50%. So yeah, man, it's a, it's a weird deal, but I, you're, you're at hundred percent, right? Like we wouldn't have spent like right now, VP 44 and P pump, both we learned with DLC coding, which came from common rail technology. We learned that the DLC enhances and it makes the, the speed, the response time of that little needle valve is faster with DLC coding. But you put that into a, a 12 valve or a 24 valve ISB truck. And boom, they run better too. They sound different. They run better. They, they just, everything about them works. 
So, and, you know, like trying to teach people that whole size, like that was the, I guess that's been a measurement for like tractor pullers for, you know, who knows how long, 30, 40 years, maybe, I don't know, but forever it was whole size. And then it, it really got busy with like liters per minute or percentage over. And then you had your camps that talked in each, but no camp shared the same lingo, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, then we start talking, like, if you're talking about percentage over, you're talking about percentage of nozzle flow over, not necessarily like MMs cubed over. So then we start talking in MMs cubed, which to the tuners and to myself, that kind of makes a lot of sense because it takes X amount of MM cubed to create X amount of horsepower. So if a customer wants 800 horsepower, you figure out like the efficiency of that piston bowl and that motor. And then that gives you a really close idea on how many MM cubed they need to pump at a certain pressure at a certain pulse width to create X amount of horsepower. So UCC, um, the really, that stuff trans, like that's the hardest part is trying to make that stuff live. You saw Derek Rose's truck, like live, 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 pass after pass after pass, doing what it's doing, not killing pistons. Motor got torn down, injectors got sent back. Motor looks pretty good. Injectors look fabulous. And that's a 2,500, 2,600 horsepower motor that made it several passes. Two years ago, there'd have been people that would have given hundreds of thousands of dollars to make it 2,600 horsepower in three laps. But instead, they were going through a motor every lap, right? So, yeah, I mean, things have changed a lot. And, you know, technology, just trying to find small things that make differences um, it might not be a big difference, but it's a small difference, and it's a, it's a difference in the in the in the positive. We're getting there finally, and uh, so I'm the tools, the brain power, all of it. It's just it's a lot, and it does. I I just recently bought two P pump stands because a lot of the dudes that built P pumps, man, they're seventy, they're sixty, they ain't gonna be doing this for very long, and there's still a lot of those trucks that are getting rekindled. I mean, hell, I could. I could sell my, my 98 with like 20 things got 23,000 miles on it. I guarantee that in an hour, I could have a $50,000 check sitting here. There's people that love that truck. They just want that yeah. truck. Cause it's so old and reliable. And you know, you, you can't shoot like a, what is that electromagnetic bomb or whatever they're talking about? <laughs> like that thing's basically resilient to that. Right. <laughs> so those trucks are pulling more now than they did when they were new. Yeah. But with DLC coated needle valves and proper hole technology, they don't have to smoke and they still run like a mother effort now. So it, everything like it starts at the top. I don't know how much automobile technology NASCAR is responsible for, but I bet it's damn near all of it. Like people that make stock cars, if they just made stock cars, they would never try and improve anything. But you go to the track, whether it's drag racing or going left or whatever, you know, like those things stand on the gas pedal for technology. And then, you know, new tools get developed to make things happen. Those tools turn into, you know, things that happen in like small shops around America. And that's what keeps the wheels rolling is us. That's, that's what I think is really cool is the ability to test. And when you had mentioned like whole size and then the percent overs, it's, it's always been uh, – I guess it depends kind of what truck you started with or when you were, you got to be an enthusiast. So you would speak one language and, you know, I, I was a little late to the, 
12 valve EP44 is a little before my time, but those guys would always talk in whole size and I had no concept of, well, how does that relate to this common rail stuff where everything at that time was like 60% over hundred percent over. Um, but being able to, I guess, kind of bridge the, the language barrier, you know, so to speak, so that when somebody calls in, they kind of have a, a reference point to speak the same language to, you know, one of the guys that answers the phone there or, um, you know, a, a racer or, you know, maybe somebody just towing a truck. They, they kind of have a, I guess the ability to, you know, relate, um, these different terms that are out there or these different measurements to something that is like, I guess just makes sense. You know, it's, it, it's, it's kind of tough because I get confused with it. I don't have a reference point for it. Um, and so if somebody can relate that to me where I go, oh, okay, I, I see what, you know, I would need for my 98 and a half or my 2003 or my 2019. 2019 and all the rest of those trucks, basically they share the same diesel. Like we go to the same bump, the, the same pump to buy the same diesel. And with fuel being six bucks a gallon, as many miles as you can get out of it and still have as much fun as possible that's a happy customer, right? So when, when we talked about whole size, people were just trying to make power. Like they didn't care so much about fuel economy. They would lie to their wife and be like, look, I don't care how much smoke's going to tailpipe. The thing still gets like 40 miles a gallon. <laughs> no, never happened. Percentage over was, that was, you know, like a, a couple of different companies came out and said, our stuff is percent over truth. But it was like, from the best that I can tell, that's just nozzle percentage over, not necessarily like nozzle versus body modifications. And I want to talk on that too, because there's a feed port that runs down the body. And that feed port is like right around, it's, it's a little bit smaller than two millimeters. And I had a guy hit me up and he, he was like, I need to set a, I think it was 400% over nozzles for a Duramax LB7 and nozzles only. And I'm like, ah, that that won't work like first off i've never made a nozzle that big it's not that i can't but there's no crankshaft on the planet that's going to live with that big of a nozzle so there's no reason to go that big now what are you trying to do is like i know like 12 15 horsepower like, all right that's cool but you don't need a nozzle near that big now when i build you a nozzle that's appropriate for that it's probably going to be in the realm of 250 to 300 percent over how do you plan on feeding the nozzle he's like well i I'm going to modify my own bodies. And I'm like, no, my interest is peaked. I'm like, all right, let's see what this guy thinks he knows. So he says he's got an EDM and he's going to like, he's going to EDM out that fuel passage. Well, my response was, cause I'm not going to tell everybody like how I've done it because I learned the hard way for several, several, several days. And like, all I said was, Hey man, like I've never, we, we used to try shoving extrude home media through that passage to think it would flow and it didn't change anything. So we did modify a couple of bodies, didn't change anything in a positive way. So then we discovered that the restriction points were actually internal to the injector. So we do modify bodies, but it's not that passage. And then even if the guy had the ability to modify the parts that we modify, trying to get them to calibrate with that style of nozzle. If, if you go up this far in nozzle size, you kind of want to go up the same distance in internal body mods. And that's all like calibration shims, uh, extrude home media, 
um, there's just a lot that goes into that recipe. And in the past, the frustration was we would modify a body and sometimes it wasn't enough and it was just a hot smoky mess. Sometimes we did it too much and it became a calibration nightmare. So now that we've got the new stand, we can look at nozzle response time. So from the time the solenoid is you know, energized, the injector is told to fire and then there's a delay time, nozzle response time. So if we can match nozzle response time with something from the factory, then calibration is going to be pretty good. But then rate shape is basically what it looks like if you capture pressure underneath the nozzle. And so you really what rate shape would be what, what's perfect is if rate shape is this flat line and then it goes straight up at 90 degrees, straight across. And then when you tell the injector to stop firing, perfect rate shape is exact like 90 degree down again to nothing that would be like ideal or perfect rate shape like a really lazy rate shape would be something kind of like a rainbow so it's like real slow to come in and finally gets to its cc's that it needs to deliver and then real slow to shut off end of injection is really sloppy and lazy that way beginning of injection sloppy and lazy will it make power yeah because your gross quantity finally up on the tabletop at the very top it's going to make some power but it's going to be smoky and messy and the, the end of injection is just garbage. So now that we have that ability to look at that with every single nozzle versus shim stack versus calibration of the body, um, what all we've modified and what we've changed, now we can, we can find the rate shift that we like and we can make everything in our lineup very much similar to that. So calibrators will have... We can also talk to cal calibrators now and be like, all right, look, what I need you to understand is the end of injection is going to happen this many microseconds after you command it on. So just because you were giving it uh, eight degrees initial and a total of 38 degrees when you're on the big end with our stuff, you don't need to do that because the end of injection is going to happen in this much time, not that much time. It's just math. And then, you know, a smart calibrator goes, oh, bro, that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> and he plugs in numbers, does his job, which I'm not a calibrator. I'm not that guy. But once he gets it, once we can give him a flow chart and show him how fast the injector is going to respond and when it's going to shut off, dude, it makes calibrations just way easier. So the dude on the keyboard looks like a genius. Happy calibrator. It's like a happy wife. <laughs> it makes... Uh... It makes a lot of sense thinking about it, um, you know, like that with the precision th th that you're able to do. And, and um, <clears throat> you know, we had talked before, I think it was last year, and we were talking about uh, injectors and, you know, old ones and how smoky a truck can be and the haze and, and all those things. So it's been really interesting to see Dynamite Diesel's growth and the things that you're able to do with you know, not just a common rail injector, but these older ones to bring that efficiency. You mentioned it a few times, the price of diesel fuel. And I think it's definitely changed people's driving habits. It's definitely changed, um, you know, what we're towing, where we're going. And so we want to, we, we kind of did like a, almost a 180 in a sense, because it was all about power. It's all about this 12, 1500 horsepower street truck that, you know, was fun. Whereas now it's like, well, I just want my truck to live and I don't want to have this huge fuel bill. And, and, uh, you know, I want something that, yeah, it's, it's fun to drive. It's not stock, but, um, you know, I have this efficiency there. And so it's, it's really cool to see 
everything kind of come full circle where, like you mentioned with this whole lineup, it's not just, you know, piezo injectors and these common rails with these, you know, advanced computer controls. It's also on a 12 valve. It's also on a VP 44 or a seven three. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much similarities. Uh, you know, I've got like a little Kubota tractor that's got, you know, it's basically a lawnmower. It's a glorified lawnmower. It's a diesel powered lawnmower. And I got a snowblower attachment in the front. And that thing used to bog down with three, four, five inches in front of it because it was like 16 horsepower PTO. And then I pulled the nozzles out, ran them, got it to where the gross quantity was up. And it picked up like five or six horsepower at the PTO. So anymore, like I hit 12 inches of snow. And if it was like that night, it throws that stuff like 40 feet. <laughs> it's gone. And it you don't slow down. It just eats. Yeah. It eats so hard that it'll break shear pins, but it doesn't bog the motor down. Um, like when I would mow on a hill, the motor used to kind of stall down and just, you know, uh, and I would have to like back off the, 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 not the throttle, but I would have to back off the tractor speed to let the blades catch back up. Now it just eats super old, super simple system, but it's basically gross quantity. Like we're shoving more down its throat. It's able to burn it. So exhaust gas temperature is still in check. When I dynoed that tractor downtown, the dude started lecturing me on like EGTs and whatnot. And he's like, how the hell did you, like, what did you do to make this thing more powerful? Because I basically went in and I said, dyno that tractor. And they're like, why? <laughs> I just dyno. Okay. So they gave me a baseline and then I brought it back like the very next morning. And I was like, can you dyno that thing again? And they're looking at me like, why? And I'm like, ah, it's going to make more power. And then I did it and they were like, dude, what the hell? That's like 20%. I'm like, yeah. There you go. They were, they could not believe it. And then they started lecturing me. And pretty soon he goes, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I extrude home the nozzles. Well, how did you do that? I said, with a machine. That's what I do for a living. And the guy's like, oh, are you from Dynamite Diesel? Yeah. <laughs> like, man, I feel stupid. Like, I was lecturing the wrong guy on EGT. I'm like, no, nah, it's no big deal. Like, most people probably should have that lecture, you know? So, um, and that's, the, even with the old dyno, we started using exhaust gas temperature gauges on the dyno, and I would just slam the brake, stand on the gas pedal for like 12 seconds, because even if you're on the highway and you go to pass like two log trucks in the fast lane kind of a thing, 12 seconds, you're going to get somewhere pretty quick, right? So I started slamming on the brake, and then I would stand on the gas pedal, and even though I couldn't record the horsepower, I could at least see what the exhaust gas temperature is going to do. So if it was going to fly past 1600 degrees, then I would change timing, change injectors, change angles, change nozzle protrusion in the cylinder head. And we fixed a massive amount of exhaust gas issues. So like 2000, if you had a 500 horsepower truck, you had a pyrometer killer. Like that thing would bend the needle backwards on a pyro every time you stood on the gas. And now 500 horsepower is not an EGT monster at all. It might make 1400 degrees. So if you have to stand on it for 12 seconds to go around a truck, no big deal. You're not hurting nothing. So in my 98, like I've got, like I got four second gens right now. And the one that I drive, no pyro does not need it. Like unless it blows an air cooler boot off, that truck has no reason to have a pyro in it because I already know that it doesn't make the EGT that they used to make. A lot, a lot's changed, dude. Yeah. I love it. Well, I was seeing about the, the guy you'd mentioned with the Duramax, and I was thinking, 
you know, I'm not sure the reason why he wanted to modify the bodies himself. Maybe he liked to do it. Maybe he wanted to save money. But, you know, when you buy a product, you're not just paying for, you know, the material or even the labor. You're also paying for the experience. So what you went through modifying the bodies, that ultimately would have saved somebody, somebody like that a lot of time. Because if he would have done that, had no change, well, that's his time to pull the injectors out wonder why he didn't get the power number that he wanted with the 400% overs and it just would have wasted a lot versus, you know, with what you're doing, whether it's a performance set or whether it's for, you know, just a a really nice uh, daily driving tow truck is you've done the testing, you've done all the things that go into it where there's no guesswork anymore. There is no, well, I'm going to throw this percent at it or this whole size at it. And yeah, it makes power, but it's smoky and, I need to change it up. It's just, it's so much more efficient, I, I guess is what I'm saying, than, than what I remember when I first got into diesel uh, diesel trucks or when I was just reading and, and seeing things in magazines. It's it, it, There's not as much guesswork in it. When when you're, the other thing is, and I, I hope the guy's not upset with me because I was really, I, I don't want to sell him that nozzle because it's going to end with him melting a motor. And then him being out bad mouthing us because we made him a set of junk nozzles. And reality is the nozzle is not going to be junk. It's just the wrong part for doing what he wants to do. So, you know, I apologize if, if he's upset at me, like I'm, I'm not trying to be like your dad. I'm just trying to keep you from your wife being mad at you. And then you being mad at me. And yeah, like sometimes the reason that we don't sell, we sell a lot of nozzles to a lot of guys. And recently we had a guy that buys a bunch of nozzles and he wanted to buy some big stuff. And uh, we, we had a meeting about it and we're like, well, what do we do? You know, like I know what he's thinking. He wants to buy the nozzles, build the bodies himself, but he doesn't have the tools at his place to even do what is required to the rest of that injector. So for him to buy the nozzles, give them to a customer, it's going to be a hot smoky mess. The end of injection is going to be stupid lazy. Uh, the beginning of injection is going to be lazy. It's going to be just a mess. And then they're going to say, oh, well, dynamite nozzles are garbage. It's actually not the nozzle. It's the fact that it was calibrated to the wrong body. And, you know, as an experience, uh, as a little bit, basically just a test. Yesterday, we took one of our 400% over nozzles like Derek Rose and all the rest of the guys are running that are, you know, making big, big, big power. We put it on one of our hot bodies. We measured nozzle response. We measured rate shape on the front and looked at it on the back. We overlaid that graph with the exact same nozzle bolted to a stock calibration body. Woof. Horrible. <laughs> like it still pumped a solid amount of fuel um, at 160 MPA at uh, 1100 US. I would think it went from 430 mm cubed down to like 230, which is still a lot of fuel, but it's half damn near. But the beginning of that event and the end of that event was stupid, stupid, gross. Basically, with the hot rod body, the end of injection was happening with the, it was happening at the same time in microseconds as when the, the ramp rate going in, I'm going to pull this number out. I don't remember if this is exactly correct or not. When I want to say it took 1.2 microseconds for the front side of the ramp 
to actually get to like peak potential on the stock body. And the entire injection event took 1.2 seconds to be completed with the hot rod body. So 400% over nozzles on two different style bodies. One would be a hot smoky mess that would be like impossible to calibrate. And the other one is going to be a challenge for a calibrator. They're going to have to understand like what this body's doing, but now we can print them rate shape, show it to them and be like, this is why you time it the way you should time it. And it'll click. Like now we're able to give them a piece of, you know, like a printer on their, on their phone or on their computer, you know, a piece of paper and let them see like what's actually going on. Cause trying to explain this stuff sometimes, like I just can't come up with the words to, to do it. And sometimes a picture for a thousand words. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Tools are huge. Like we've, you know, COVID cash, COVID bucks, COVID, whatever you want to call it has been good to camp trailer people, boat people, bicycle sales people. If you had inventory, you could sell it in the last 24 to 36 months, you were killing it. And this year, everybody's got a bunch more inventory. Like I went to the bike shop a couple of days ago and they got bikes everywhere. So I was able to get a deal on a bicycle for the first time in two years. Um, but then injectors, like we're still, we still run out of stuff because a lot of that's coming from countries outside the U S and shipping's a mess. So we're buying a bunch more to try and maintain, you know, like when a customer, when a customer hits us, we try to make that a very smooth, uh, purchase. Like if you want it today, we send it within the next one or two days. If it's on the shelf, it goes today. If it's on the shelf when we get the order before, you know, two 30, it goes by three 30. Um, we've done, I feel like, and it's a small company. So we have the ability to do this. We can go hungry and put ourselves on a cash diet. So when parts become available, instead of buying 120 control valves, we buy like 600 that way knowing that this, the dry spill is going to come once we're down to a hundred, we rebuy. And then we know that we finally get them. So we've had, uh, we've definitely had chinks in the supply chain, but it's such a small company and there's so few people here that we've been able to, you know, kind of keep things moving pretty good. Uh, and then making our own nozzles, like we have parts made in blanks, needle valves are ground, DLC coded and shipped to us. Uh, we've had some issues with that, but we've worked through that. And, uh, you know, but with us, basically I've got four blank part numbers and that gives me the ability to make damn near anybody's nozzle for anything. And even like a hay loader, like it, this, the P570 sack style nozzle is what we're using on ISBs. We're using it on all the P pump stuff, using it on the VE stuff. So if you have an old tractor that you can't buy a Cummins injector for, you send me one injector and I can build you a match set. Easy. It's, you know, when we, when we make custom injectors, that doesn't mean 1500 horsepower. It's just custom. Like it's something not in our shelf. So we'll build you whatever you want. And we've got farmers out there. They're using our parts now because they could not buy parts from their, you know, their local tractor shop or whatever. They had to use us. I know people love to hear your, uh, either business stories or advice, um, you know, things that, uh, that, that you've gone through, you know, with the company. <clears throat> and when you were mentioning some of the things there with inventory and thinking ahead and planning, um, you know, there's a lot of people who listen who they might not own a diesel shop, but they own a construction company or they own some sort of small business. And 
I, I think regardless of the industry, the times that we're in now are very challenging. Um, not even just from a, a supply chain part anymore. It's like, you know, the inflation part, um, you know, how are people spending their money? How can I make sure that, that my small business navigates this as successfully as possible? Um, so I wanted to ask you kind of about that part and, and maybe some things that, um, you know, you're learning this year or, you know, just stuff that uh, a small business owner who's listening to this um, could say, hey, I totally identify with that. I, I, I get what he's saying. Maybe I should do that with my company. Maybe I should, uh, you know, think about some of these things that, uh, you know, can help make sure that my business weathers this storm. This is probably the most fun that I have with your and I's conversations because, um, uniquely enough, like people from Australia and all around the U S they'll message me after these conversations and be like, Hey man, you know, I got a, a concrete company and that relates to me. Yeah. So it is fun to talk about business with people that are paying attention that are in small business. And even if you work for a small business, if you get the business owner's uh, mindset from me, it'll help you deal with your boss better. Right? So, you know, going back, I started my company was like my late twenties. And of course you don't know anything, but you think you know everything in your twenties. And then, you know, by my mid thirties, I was basically like, I was going belly up when, you know, gone through a divorce, owed taxes, blah, blah, blah. And those are things that like, I just ran to my accountant and my banker, because those are basically like your uh, coach and your cut man. If you've got a good banker that knows your company and, and it knows it on the intimate side, uh, when something changes and your banker gets a hold of you immediately and says, hey, why did so-and-so just reach in and grab, you know, 20% of what was in your account? Well, you need to get that phone call. So with the digital world, set up anything you can on your phone because every goddamn person that's going to listen to this has an iPhone or a Samsung or whatever. And you should set up alerts on anything that you can. So recently, like one of my guys drove by here on the weekend and he saw some pickups parked in our front yard and none of my employees knew who they would have been. So we bought cameras because like this neighborhood has been safe, but it's not going to be someday. And with the amount of inventory we have in here now, like, God damn, you know, like yeah. $50,000 worth of injectors could easily go into a box that you could walk out the front door with. That's a big hit for me. So cameras, security, email security, like everybody has employees and you want to make sure that if they go through their email box because they're pissed off at you or because they're doing shady stuff or whatever, or they just, they grab 60 emails they think they don't need, but one of them happens to be like a PO and you're scrambling later on to find it. Like you've got to proofread that something happened. You'll want to get a service, whether with a, like Gmail, they have a vault service and it's just like five bucks a month per account. But it goes and you can set up with that. You can set up. So, um, you know, if you run, let's just say you run a lumber yard. I was the lumber yard yesterday. So let's use that. And uh, let's say you've got, as a business owner, you own half dozen lumber yards. Well, then one of the accountants or bookkeepers or lead sales guys at your, at your lumber yard, he empties his email and you like you inventory's off there. Something's going wrong there. Something's up. You can set an alert and all of a sudden your Gmail account will say, you know, so-and-so 
just deleted emails. And then you can just read them and see what they were about. Well, that's your company and all of your employees need to understand like all those emails, they're not their emails. That was company property. If they need to be emailing during the daytime, you should do that on break and you should do that on your own email. Do not use company, you know, like email boxes for your own personal stuff. So, you know, cameras, uh, email security, uh, bank security, like use as many electronic alerts as you can and make it as easy on yourself as possible. Because if it's difficult, we're all going to get busy and we're going to get lazy at some point and we're not going to use it. Um, on the front side of developing a company, everybody is full of like piss vinegar, enthusiasm and happiness, right? And if you've got one or two or three partners, whether it's like a nepotism, you know, it could be a, a mother, a son and a father, or it could be just three dudes that know each other from the gym or, or whatever, right? Three dudes from three different states. You should see a lawyer and write up an agreement when everybody's in a good mood. And then the lawyer discusses like with all of you, who's responsible for what portion of the company. So if I've got a business partner, you know, like if my, if my business partner, Daryl decides that, you know, he's been running my machine shop for 10 years and it's heavy, hard work. And he decides that he doesn't want to do that anymore. He wants to go run, you know, the sales department because he sees that there's guys on the phone and uh, it looks easier. Well, then he walks in one day and goes, hey, you know, I'm a third owner of this company too. I want to run the, the, well, okay, now let's look at the rule book that we wrote because that was put together by a lawyer when you were in a good mood. And then you're not going to take this, you're not taking the phone system over. You're not taking the website over. You're valuable in the machine shop. What else do we have to do that allows you to, you know, be comfortable at work? But what do we got to do to make sure that that guy stays on top of it, right? So, I, I feel like making sure your partnership agreement is, is done by a lawyer and uh, documented, notarized. So in the future, when somebody's in a bad mood, they feel like they're getting the, the raw end of the deal. You can read that rule book and be like, hey, look, this is what we said. That's it. Um, kind of like, you know, like our constitution. You don't have to read it. You can ignore it, but you should read it because it's really a piece of paper. <laughs> it's kind of important. Kind of kept it going for a couple hundred years. <laughs> I think that's uh, really, I think that's really important though, because I, uh, you think of you know when you start a company like a smaller business, you're full of enthusiasm. You're probably wearing ten different hats, doing tons of different things. I think the last thing you kind of think about is like, okay, what about five years from now if you know my partner or one of my partners is like, hey, I want to do this or I want to do that. And if you don't have anything in place, I imagine it's a nightmare. It it's the kind of stuff, you know, I've been doing this business now for over 20 years and I've seen some amazing companies do amazing things. And then people start moving in the company to where they're not good, but they're lazy and they want to do something easier. It tears the whole goddamn company apart. So, if you're going to do something with partners, like with me, I'm an owner and I'm a sole proprietor, basically like we just recently, and this is something that I wished I would have done a long time ago, hired a manager. He came from the window industry. So his sales numbers, the guys under him were selling more windows in dollars than I sell in injectors every year. So when he walks in the front door, 
this is a diesel fuel injector. He's a fairly mechanical guy and I've known him for 25 years, but uh, basically I wanted his business experience. I didn't care about his injector experience. I have sales guys that can sell parts and I've got technicians that put parts together. Uh, I didn't need another technician to run my company. I needed a business guy to run my company. The anxiety that I've had when I took my kids to Mexico or Disneyland and on, on this hand, that's more vacations than I've taken in 20 plus years. Uh, I met a business consultant who was a father at a cheer competition and his company was just, it was just auditing companies. He would go to dealerships. He would meet everybody at the dealership. Him and his team would walk in and they would work at the dealership for three, four, five days. And then they would go to the ownership and say, okay, well, here's where your company suffers. Here's where it's doing really good. Here's what we would do if we ran your company. And he would often, you know, find theft and things like that amongst the employees. Um, and I asked him a long time ago, I said, man, you know, I got this company. I got like 17, 18 employees, you know, blah, 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 blah. What should I do? And he goes, well, when was the last time you took a vacation? And I'm like, oh, dude, you know, like I, you know, I go to, you know, truck events all the time. And, I'm, you know, I saw I take long weekends. He's like, but you sell truck parts. Yeah, that's not a vacation. Like, when do you go unplug? And I, well, you know, I, like in, you know, the year 1918, <laughs> I took my kids to like, you know, Disneyland. I was gone for a week. He's like, well, as soon as you start taking four vacations a year, you should worry about paying somebody like me. But until that, don't, don't waste your money. And I kind of looked at him like, dude, I ain't got enough time to do the shit that I got to do right now. And he looks at me and he goes, that's the problem. He goes, let me, let me ask you this. Let's just say that you and I go partnership and we buy a $1 million horse. I said, all right. He says, is that a lot of money? I'm like, oh boy, that'd be a lot. Now, of course, you know, this, this advice was given to me 10 years ago when a million dollars would have bought a small county. Today it's a house, but a million dollars for a horse is still a chunk of change. And he goes, all right, now we go win the Kentucky Derby at this horse. And it brings in like 10 million bucks. I said, all right, that's a good day. He said, yeah, it's a good day. He says, but we're going to ship the horse back. We're going to put it in a stall and we're going to groom it and we're going to feed it and we're going to give it all the proper nutrition. We're going to train it because we're going to go race it again and again and again to make more money. Right. I said, yeah. He says, then one Wednesday, you're going to go to look at the horse and it's going to be hooked up to my plow in my field. Like, what are you going to think? I said, what do you mean? He's like, are you going to be pissed? I said, well, yeah, probably. He goes, right. So you are the horse. Why would you run yourself into the ground and be successful with so many things and then run yourself into the ground like a workhorse? You could easily invest into a cheaper workhorse and then that's their only job is just doing that. So they get really good at that and they become, you know, it becomes easy for them. But you can't be one horse that does it all. So until you're willing to take four weeks vacation every year, like don't, don't spend your money on my company. Oh, okay. And I've never taken four weeks vacation and I'm not kidding you. I've threatened it. I've promised it. I've done everything, but there's always some crap that comes up that gives me anxiety. So I can't leave. So I'm here on Sunday. I'm here on Monday. I'm here on, you know, nights. Uh, this morning I went for a mountain bike ride. It's the first time I've ridden my mountain bike in several, several, several months. And I felt guilty. But reality is a couple months ago, we hired a manager. So I call him and I'm like, Hey, how's stuff going? He's like, ah, pretty good. You know, like Skylar's got this, they're fighting with this test stand. And, uh, 
without me being at the shop and these two hands being stuck in the test stand trying to get it repaired, I made a better maneuver and I actually shot a text message to the dude that just sold me my new test stand. And I said, Hey, you know, how long and how much? So I ordered another test stand because that test stand that those guys are working on this morning, it gets broken way too often. And since COVID hit that company, their country rode the struggle bus, meaning their country put them under lockdown. So trying to get them at work and trying to get them to ship parts like stuff that used to be made in the United Kingdom. Now the stuff shows up and it's made in China because there's nothing coming out of the UK anymore. So we had to change brands of stands because of that. And the new dude, like his country, <coughs> excuse me, his country where this new stand comes from, like that country was a bit more active. They didn't go into complete lockdown. So we were getting stuff, you know, like, like I said, that circuit board, that wasn't his fault. That was our fault. Well, it wasn't my fault either, but it happened. And, uh, you know, the, the surge protectors, $4,000, that's going to invest security and insurance into my entire shop. But I have to buy a stand from that guy now because I can't afford these things being broke down because every single day, all these older trucks are wearing out more and more and more injectors. It's going to keep our, our injector sales will not drop. I'm predicting for the next 10 to 15 years, like 12 to 15, probably. But right now, like you look at how many 6.7 liter Cummins trucks are out there, or how many uh, 6.7 liter power strokes are out there. If those things only live for 10 years past their production date, we'll be busier in eight years than we've ever been. I think that's where that, that manager, that, uh, that workhorse, as you called it, it's, it's, it's going to be so important, you know, in the, in the future. And I can tell like with doing podcasts is somebody you'll say, Hey, get this, uh, this guy on or this company on, I can tell a difference just to schedule a podcast. The, the companies that have, someone who's like the the manager the main point of contact it, it's so smooth to be able to schedule it with you know huge companies it's just it, it can be really smooth or it can be a complete nightmare and that's just a media inquiry that's just to do a podcast it's not necessarily you know to build parts or to ramp up production or or do any of those things and, and i think with what you just mentioned with uh with injector volume and you know, I'm sure it's going to be the same with turbos and engines and transmissions and every other part related to a vehicle is if you're in this industry and, and, you know, obviously people want to stay in it they want to do this for their career. You have to think about, you know, that advice that you just gave with managing the, the day-to-day things and being able to, you know, just relieve your anxiety and stress and be able to focus on what you do, which is making the company successful, making money and growing it versus the day-to-day, you know, I need to order cups. Where's the water at? You know, what's going on with the uniforms? Why aren't they, you know, showing up on all that kind of stuff just takes you off of the really why you're there, which is to run this thing and to grow it. I've, I've never walked into any company that I've ever had from like the time I was mowing lawns when I was 12 years old till right now, I've never looked at my day and said today, how do you optimize every minute to make every dollar? I've always looked at it like if you're having a pretty good time and you're doing a good job, then money is like a point system that will follow. Now, reality is that still holds true to me. But with Mike being here as the manager, he sends me a text message every day that shows 
how much we deposited, how much is in my account, how much was withdrawn, and then every day. Basically, right now, we don't have a bookkeeper at this moment. She's going to be here full-time on July 5th. She comes in right now for about an hour and a half every couple of days before she goes to a regular job. So he's teaching her like what we've got going. She's been working with my accountant. So when she hits the ground on the fifth, it'll be like both feet on the ground for a full sprint. But right now she's just here helping us get by. And I've reached out to all my job or vendors and what have you and been like, Hey, look, if you need money, like get a hold of me right now. I just don't have a bookkeeper. So since I don't have a bookkeeper work with me for just a minute, we're still slugging away at the bills, but now I see how much is coming in on the daily and I can start to create a real budget, which is going to make this company a massive change because in the future, when I'm talking to somebody and I'm trying to buy a part that I used to buy, you know, two years ago, I used to buy like maybe 60 of this and 60 of that, 18 of that, 18 of that. Now with blanks, we're ordering like 600 of that, 600 of that, 400 of that. But now that I can throw a budget to it, what's more interesting, building 600 a month or just building 2000 and scheduling 600 a month after that. To me, them, they're going to be like, wait a minute, you want 2000 right now and you want to schedule 600 a month. Well, hell, we're going to give you what they're going to do is they're going to build the ones that I want right now. They're going to build me for that. It's a big fat chunk of change. And then at the same time, since they're already set up, they're going to make my next six months for the nozzles, right? And I keep eating through those and I stockpile some and I start to run out and then I schedule more after that. But as long as I keep a surplus of a few hundred, then I'm never going to have to tell a consumer, I'm sorry, that's on back order. Now that I have an idea of when the money's coming, how much is going to be here, I can start to make those decisions correctly. So, you know, the bigger the boat, like the higher up in the boat, you really need to be to keep an outlook over where the, the whole boat is going, right? Yeah. So, you know, a, a small company is like a speedboat. You turn the wheel and the thing goes that way. But you're driving the love boat and uh, you turn the wheel and that thing turns two days later. So it, the bigger the company, I think the higher up you need to be when you're looking at things. And that's something that, you know, working with my kid, like it was, a, it was, it was kind of a ma and pa shop. Um, <clears throat> with, with working with just, you know, somebody that's, a professional that's trained at something that has a job, like we're going to write rules and this is what I expect from you every day. And as long as I get all those numbers, I can be less anxious because I'm looking at the overall package. And when I walk in the building and I see that somebody's fighting with something, I can go offer to help them, but at least I'm not stressed out about like other stuff that I already know about. It's already a text message on my phone. So, you know, one thing that we've discussed here recently is like, because my guys were always stressed out about trying to make bonus because the last two years, God damn, it was easy. We were killing every month. We were like 20%, every month, 20%, 26%, 30%. You know, it's fun to be on a winning team, right? Yeah. I walked in and I'm like, all right, guys, everybody's kind of getting down in the mouth because it's hard to make bonus now. <clears throat> I want you to think about this differently. How much is the cost of diesel right now? Well, it's 550 a gallon. Okay. And is anybody bragging about like the $600 check that just magically appeared in their account? Nope. That was two years ago. So how many camp trailers are on watch just down the street? The lot is full two years ago and a year ago, there wasn't a camp trailer out there. 
everybody was blowing through money like crazy. Now we went up 30%. We went up 30%. Now that we're at this level, I'd be stoked if we just stay there and we don't drop. Because if we stay there, that means we're gaining market share because people aren't driving their trucks like they were a year ago. You can't tell me that every time you hook onto your boat, your snowmobile trailer, your camper, your whatever, you're wearing parts out. But now we don't see people doing it. So if we can maintain the same gross sales of injectors every day, to me, that right now is winning. And that changed everybody in this building's like their attitude was instantly like lifted and we're still going to do things for them. We've got, uh, we made a bet with a company last month that uh, their gross, their, their overall purchases from us. I basically dared them and I told them I would take them and everybody in their company. We we're going to go bowling and they crushed it. They sold more of our product than they'd ever sold and they did it laughing but they've already set momentum and now that company's doing just as good this month. So it's things that keep human beings interested and involved. And if you've got a company, you know, like if you're a, a bricklayer, it's going to be tough to make, like make work fun because when it's hot, it's miserable. But if you can like reward your guys with a good time or reward your team with a good time, then uh, you know, the work becomes less difficult and just more rewarding. And that's, I feel like that's something that's worked for me. And I think I'm going to keep going with it. It is always fantastic to listen to your insights. They're also <clears throat> some of the favorite parts of our podcast is just, you know, there's a lot of knowledge and insight that I get. And I, I see those messages from people. Once we drop an episode, they'll say, Hey, get Lenny on, ask him about this part of his business or ask him what he does with employees to keep him motivated. And, and it's, it's always really cool to chat with you. But uh, yeah, this was, there's a lot of great information about injectors and, and things people can do, you know, to their trucks, whether it's, you know, a new one or newer one or, or an older one. And it's exciting to see the, uh, the precision and the testing that I think you've brought to the diesel aftermarket. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, just, it gives me confidence knowing, you know, like, Hey, no matter what trucks out there, I can get the best possible, you know, injectors, um, you know, for it, regardless of, of what year it is. And, you know, like you mentioned, the trucks aren't getting any cheaper. They're tougher to find. And I'd rather just make my vehicles the most reliable thing that I can have and, and, uh, you know, just enjoy it. So it was a uh, fantastic chatting with you, Lenny. Look forward to doing it here pretty soon. I know things move at a lightning pace, so I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch of new stuff when we chat, uh, you know, later in the summer. So, well, it's definitely been fun. I enjoy chatting with you. And like, you know, I keep telling you, like, you got to come up here and hang out. But I really, I think, so my house is almost done. Uh, the dyno shop is done. Dino's in there. It's done. I'm stoked. But as soon as my house is completed, you're welcome to come hang out. I got a bedroom for you. Like, just hang out for a day. We'll, you know, we can go shooting. I know you like guns. We can go shooting for a day. We'll hang out in the shop for a day. And I really, I think that, you know, that knowledge would help you with everybody too, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, well. I, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I didn't forget when you, when you put me, uh, under the spotlight, I don't know, five or six episodes ago and, and somebody on YouTube was like, if you don't go, I want to go. So I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely going to do that. It was great. Uh, great chat with you, Lenny. Hi buddy. You'd be good. Thanks. Appreciate it. 
Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to fluidamper.com. Check out our newest sponsor. Really looking forward to doing an episode uh, with them here shortly. So if there's questions that you want us to ask them, make sure and drop us a message on Instagram, Facebook, if you're on our Discord, Patreon. You can send us an email, info at thedieselpodcast.com, and we'll make sure and, and ask them that. I want to give a shout out to some of our um, Patreon supporters. We, we appreciate all they do for us and the ways they've been help, they've been able to help us grow. Texas Diesel Supply, Rights Diesel Services, Caleb, Tyler Lowen at 23Diesel, and all you guys out there, whether you follow us on YouTube, Instagram, you're listening on one of the podcast apps, you guys keep us going, you know, keep us on our toes, and we really appreciate the feedback that we get of what you guys want to hear. And that's, you know, the, the cornerstone of the Diesel Podcast is making a podcast for you guys. And so, you know, keep the suggestions coming. We look forward to covering all the, the topics that you guys are, are you know, wanting to hear about, information that, that, you want, that you guys want to know. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.